Live from Derbyshire, this is The Sunday Lunch Show with Brent Poland, and you are listening live. Hi there and welcome and good afternoon to this edition of Sunday Lunch Show with me, Brent Poland. I'm all by myself today, although my wingman may be calling in at some stage. We're going to look at the online safety bill and what it's going to mean for schools. And in particular, I'm going to have a little chat about a few other things as well, about strike action coming up and what the week had in education. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TT Radio. So, today I'm uh, flying solo. Hopefully my tech is working without my tech expert, uh, my good friend Adam. Um, so, I'm live and I'm raring to go. So, a little plan for you today will be, we're, we're going to have a little chat about the online safety bill. And that online safety bill um, and what implications it's going to have for schools. We've been waiting for a couple of years for this, to be honest with you, because it feels a bit like the Wild West. Um, thank you, Tom's just giving me the, the thumbs up, everything's loud and clear. But it has felt like on the internet, actually, that it has been a bit of the Wild West. And I know Tom himself, Tom Rogers, highlighted um, some of the aspects that was was harming, you know, teachers. And we saw that during um, the likes of the, um, some of us being rounded on by some of our own children on social media. And I'll come on to that later on about social media, about um, one of the news stories that might get a, might get a reaction about uh, teachers' um, social media accounts being vetted before they get employment. But Tom highlighted the, the, the TikTok situation where some staff were being, uh, you know, attacked, undermined, and it was disgusting. And, and I've seen examples of this. Um, I'm well aware that this has happened to me as well, albeit it wasn't in, a, in an extremely nasty way. Uh, but still, it's that loss of privacy. So, you know, we are living in that media age. I've been teaching long enough to remember when I started um, in education, we had like MSN Messenger. And we had, you know, we, we started on Bebo and MySpace. And I've seen, you know, the internet grow from when I was at university to being a dial-up, going into the library to download. Um, I remember downloading The Phantom Menace. It took me a, a day in the, in, the, in the university library to download, you know, a, a two-minute movie clip from The Phantom Menace. Now, that was like 1997 or 1998. Um, and this is the thing. I've worked uh, in education long enough to see the positive aspects of social media. And I've seen, you know, how it's changed the world. I equate the social media revolution and the internet to the the impact of society that the printing press had. And, and those of you who are historians know that the printing press, you know, was inadvertently responsible for great schisms like the Reformation um, and, and huge leaps in humanitarianism and, and science. And, and and writing and poetry and art and music and the renaissance itself and and this is the thing is that we are playing catch-up the, the we are in the wild west and the government finally sort of got themselves into a situation where they're going to produce an online safety bill uh, and that online safety bill is taken a couple of years the problem with taking a couple of years is things are moving so so quickly with the platforms and it's it's evolving fastly, and I and and I'm not out to criticise the government for it because it's a difficult thing to do legislation, and legislation has to be done proper because bad legislation causes more problems. Bad legislation can cause you a lot more problems, so they have to get it right. The problem is it's 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 an ever moving target, 
and 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 we are i think reactionary to what's going on when it comes to social media and schools are reactionary and it's very very difficult for us teachers those of us who are again it's like everything else some of us are in different places when it comes to the internet some of us are in, in different places when it comes to our our tech savviness some of us are different gener generations even you you could have possibly three generations of teachers at school you know, newly qualified teachers who are who, who are children of the internet. Um, teachers like myself, um, I think I'm a generation Xer. I think that's my my generation. I'm um, I'm somewhere between the baby boomers and the uh, the generation millennials. So I, I'm that kind of forty something who who is able to grow up, you know, drinking water out of a hose, playing football all day long. I'm still able to, you know, play computer games and, and use, you know, the the internet. So I have a foot in both camps in this. And of course, there are those those education professionals out there who, you know, they they didn't grow up in that generation and they might be closer to the retirement age. But that can mean you you can have three three generations of teachers there in very different places when it comes to technology. And one of our jobs, obviously, as teachers, is to constantly refresh our subject knowledge constantly you know update ourselves professional development as, as i mentioned last week is one of the highest uh, factors in, in in our impact on the classroom that, that we teachers are up to date um, and therefore if you know the government and and the people in charge can't keep us up to date there's it's, it's often ourselves and our colleagues and each other that sometimes help keep up to date and it, you know, massive shout out to those those education professionals out there who don't wait for guidance and I've seen some of those, you know, um, in the last couple of months do kind of like guerrilla, you know, guerrilla lessons, I'd like to call them, because um, it feels a bit like guerrilla warfare <laughs> sometimes that you're you're having to kind of like fight rearguard action against these encroaching things that are bleeding into your classroom. And I know Tom's going to do an absolute fantastic um, um, whole show on this tomorrow night. So I'm not going to cut across uh, the Andrew Tate situation because I know Tom's got a, a couple of guests on that, and it was well worth a listen to that tomorrow night if uh, if you if you're around or equally listen to it. Obviously, on uh, download you can download all of our um all our shows wherever you get your podcasts, and, and equally you can uh, download them to to your heart's content and share them and keep them, and and they're like professional development. So tomorrow tomorrow night Tom's going to talk about this. He's going to talk about in great detail the Andrew Tate situation, but many of our colleagues were talking about this before the mainstream media. Um, actually got hold of it and, and that's good because we do track the trends sometimes we teachers um, we because we do have to connect with the young people we're teaching somebody always said that to me is like you're not to teach to the generation you are but you teach to the generation that you're currently teaching which means you've got to think like them you got to understand their world and and you know those of us who have children of our own it adds an extra dimension I mean um, I do worry about this but then I also have this sort of middle-aged kind of um, rememory where I think, hold on a second here. Wasn't it the 1980s when they said to me that violent movies like the Freddy Krueger slasher movies and heavy metal rock music would corrupt my soul and the Dungeons and Dragons and, and you know, the stuff I was watching on, on, on movies and televisions would, would corrupt me. And, and there was a massive backlash against, you know, the video nasties. We used to have a uh, guy, Mike Reed, we used to have VCRs. And Mike Reed would sit at the end of his, his stool and he'd say, this movie may contain, and then he'd list off. And I remember sitting there with my parents. They're not listening, thank you. 
good. Um, we're kind of like, if we got past certain descriptions, we'd be all right. It was kind of weird. My parents were all right with the kind of um, the, the, the explosions and, and, and some of the, and you say it now and I think, my God, they must, you know, they must be terrible parents, but they're okay with the kind of violent stuff. Like, you know, the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and the, the predators and the, and the stuff like that. And yet there was people calling out going, Oh my, you know, children today, they're watching these videos, you know, and they're, and then of course this evolved into the violent video games, didn't it? In the 1990s and the early 2000s, it was like, oh, these violent video games are going to corrupt us. You know, children are going to drive around and they're going to, you know, pick up $10 after shooting old ladies because they've seen it on Grand Theft Auto. Point I'm making is, is that we always have a reaction to whatever young culture it is. If you think of the 60s, Elvis the Pelvis, whose daughters just sadly passed away. There was a reaction against Elvis. You had the Mary Whitehouse situation about um, Alf Garnet, you know, saying the word bloody hell on television in 1968, and that caused absolute, complete, you know, meltdown. So there's always been that, you know, part of society that goes, oh, young ones now, they're into this, they're into that, they're into the other. And it wasn't like that when we were young. And it's interesting, I always, you know, joke with the year 11s and say, you know, what are the year sevens like at the moment? Because I'm only a six, 11 to 16 school. And they're like, oh, the kids, these year sevens, they're so cheeky. They're so annoying. We weren't like that when we were a kid. And, and you, you're like, yeah, you were. You were exactly the same. I've, I've watched you grow up. You, you, yeah, you were cheeky too. You, you stole their football. You sat in the wrong seat, at the, in the wrong part of the bus. Come on. This is a natural progression. So there's part of me at the back of my mind thinking, am I being that? generational guy who who doesn't get the world that the kids in home you know are, are we being too alarmist are we just falling into that same cultural stereotypical trap of the older generation the teachers the adults you know dictating to the children and the children are well capable of filtering through or is this insidiously different is this worse is there something about what's happening now that is kind of beyond you know watching you know aggressive movies is it beyond you know watching die hard and, and hearing you know yippee don't say it um i remember watching itv we used to record we used to record um all the movies i used to massive vcr sets my brother and i and would have every star wars indiana jones every 80s movie which i all know off by heart. I'm sure if you're a certain generation, you're with me on this. We could probably have a little quiz if I said certain movie um, kind of quotes, you'd probably finish the sentence for me. But we used to have them always on VCR. And I never forget that we record Die Hard Woods, which is a Christmas movie. It is. Okay, I, I'm, I'm putting that out there. Discuss. Different, ta different, different topic, but is it a Christmas movie? Big one that comes up every year. But there was a part where he turns around and he says his famous lines, yippee-ki-yay, and then he swears. And I, everybody knows he swears. And it's not, <laughs> and you have, you, know, you have the diehard character turn around and going like, and then he turns around and goes, Gibozavi. And, and it's so badly dubbed. They used to dub over the, the language for broadcasts. Or you'd, you'd watch, or you'd, or you'd, or you'd watch, You'd watch the movie knowing there were certain scenes waiting for that scene to happen. Certain movies. <laughs> and he'd be like, they just cut two minutes of the movie out. I know it's there. I could get it on VCR. And then that's literally what it used to be like. It was, you know, can't have this. And, and you had this 
situation, and I'm waxing lyrical about my childhood now, but you had this idea that children went to bed at nine o'clock watershed. We were raised in the nine o'clock watershed. Our kids nine o'clock watershed now. It's nine o'clock in the morning watershed and some of them are rocking out of bed. Never mind, go to bed. And that's that's the thing, isn't it? You, 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 we have to evolve and, and the world changes. And we can look back with, with great nostalgia and say how the world was halcyon days. And we were so much more innocent. And, you know, young boys never looked at things like pornography. <laughs> right. Okay. And, and we didn't have all of these problems now. And this is the thing that always upsets me is like, it's as if everybody sort of thinks that we didn't have all of these these social issues. And in one way, I'm quite hopeful because I think we're better aware of them. I think we're better educated for them. I think we're better understanding them. I think we may have ignored things in the past. And that's in a way where we have come as teachers. And, and, and I think actually in a weird way, we've got to work harder because two things have happened. No disrespect to the current parenting, but it wasn't as strict and it wasn't as organized and it wasn't as disciplined as say my upbringing not being judgy about it i'm just saying that's a reality of the world that we live in and the reality of the world we live in we got to live in that world and that world has evolved and, and we have dual income households and we've had a societal shift where we have the latchkey kids that come home i didn't have that i had a mother she was she didn't work had dad who went out and worked traditional family upbringing and that meant for instance that you know i didn't a lot of the stuff that's happening now was alien to me even then and that's the thing our society has changed schools have to change with society and us as teachers sometimes we have to connect with people who have a completely different experience set to us a completely different generation to us completely different understanding to us and i'm lucky that i'm i'm not saying i have it more because of my academic background but as an historian um, empathy is one of those things that we, we, we have to use. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And I'm constantly trying to think like the kids think. I'm constantly trying to think about their world. And don't get me wrong, I'm a little bit in their world. I love my computer games. I love my social media. I have a dose of what they have too as well. But not at the same level. And remember, I've got the adult mature brain and to be able to regulate. So if somebody has a go at me on TikTok, then... <laughs> Bring it on. Fine. I've had it all my life. If you want to you wanna try and troll me, then go on ahead and troll away. I, I, I'm built to, to, to cope with it. But the problem is not everybody is built to cope with it. And, and our children don't have the stoicism or the resilience or the kind of like the, the attitude of, oh, well, you know, what's the worst thing in the world that can happen to you? And the worst thing in the world that can happen to them is that they're 50,000 friends because they have to have lots of friends now. And even my own daughter's in this kind of situation where friendships i never realized how important friendships were um the friends i had growing up with was, was my brother and my cousin and my immediate small social circle of, of lads i played football with and i think again that was kind of there was an innocence sounds a bit like <laughs> sounds like my childhood was stranger things which is one of the reasons why i like stranger things because i can identify with that tv show nostalgically waxing lyrical looking back at the, the kind of innocence of those halcyon days but the generation now are wired in. They are almost, what's the word for it? They're almost half cybernetic. I mean, we're at the stage now where human beings are practically going to be, what, amalgamated with cybernetics. We are reaching that point because you could probably say that that telephone is the most important extension of these children. And it's not a telephone, it's a smartphone. I always love that fantastic picture. 
that shows you everything that we had in the 1980s, a, a VCR, a, a, video, um, a recorder, uh, a stereo, um, a microphone, and all those things. And that was like the 1980s all on the table. And then you show our, our, our smartphones now, because they're not really phones. They're, they're, they're computer devices. They're personal devices. They're payment devices. They're social media devices. They are, in essence, the world to a lot of these children. And they live in that fake world. But that fake world is not the fake world to them. In many ways, that fake world is more important than the real world. And we're reaching that stage where that is cutting across massively and impacting upon our ability to educate these children because it is influencing and it is dangerous in a way. And why I think it is dangerous and why I will, I'll quantify what why it was less dangerous when I was a child versus why it was more dangerous for children now. I cope with more physical dangers as a child. We were taught more about don't get into the car with strangers. So if you're of a certain age, you'd remember that your parents would always be a bit, a bit paranoid about strange cars and strangers. And it was always like, you're even taught at school, don't talk to strangers, don't get into a strange vehicle, uh, somebody promises you sweets and stuff, and yet you think about that behind you go, oh, oh gosh, you know, and at the time you thought, oh, they're just giving me advice, yeah, 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 all right, I'm not going to do that, I wouldn't get in a car full of strangers, come on, what kind of idiot do you think I am? But this is the advice we were given as kids, you know, go and get in a car full of strangers, be mindful of your surroundings, and you had times, you know, be home at a certain time. And of course, you'd hear the mothers at about six o'clock in the evening as it's getting dark. And you hear the names going around the housing estate, you know. And of course, some 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 Irish mothers can really belt out the name. And you knew by the tone of that name that their dinner was ready or they'd done something wrong. And you thought to yourself, uh-oh, that sounds angry. What have we done? What have we done? And you could literally hear them almost like a chorus, like like the, the songbirds, you know, you know, tweeting around 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 the wood. You, you you heard the mother shout the children's names because again, it was physical. We went out, we played, we did the physical stuff. This online world is deeper, and I think it's the same as mental and physical bullying. And and bullying is a horrible, horrible thing, but the mental side of things. I think leaves the bigger scars and it leaves the deeper scars and I think it has that ability and I know this as an historian judging things like indoctrination looking what happened to the whole of your German society being bewitched by you know fascists and you see that around the world where how people can be you know terrorists can get in people's heads and and groom people and that is really I think the most dangerous it sounds Weird to say it, but I find that very insidious. And I think that's the insidious nature of what the danger of the internet is. My parents shielded me from physical harm. They, they protected me from physical harm. They were able to give me advice about keeping myself physically safe, which I very much needed because I'd broken about three bones in my body before I was about seven. Um, you know, broken nose, broken ankle, <laughs> fall out of a tree. It, this is the things that we did, you know. So when you get kids rocking up into the old... Uh, medical room going like i've got a sore head we didn't have a medical room at school if you went to the medical room they just what they give you they give you a chalky medicine they give you horrible chalky medicine that was the catch-all for everything and just wished you back the lessons you know unless you literally were a projectile physically sick you were never sent to a medical room and you never complained you never had a headache you never had too much not enough water or not enough food you just basically got on with it and, and again I don't think that was healthy because there's sometimes probably we might have needed a little bit of all of those things. 
but we we were shielded from the physical stuff and and it was mainly about the physical that that, that the talk was all about and you know your physical safety and if you think about it as well we got you know the green cross code man or aka darth vader you know you know you know, crossover and if i think about all my phc lessons as a kid growing up it was don't smoke don't drink cross the road look where you're going wear a seatbelt. and it was literally like that physical safety and of course in, in our situation growing up in the middle of the troubles i find it it's, it's deeply ironic there was never any talk about you know about safety in, in the middle of a war zone <laughs> i mean and that, that's just, i find it sort of strange now that we're doing lockdowns during school and i think they're a good idea do not get me wrong but i'm kind of like lockdown for a for existential danger that might be a stranger going around school or it might be you know a terrorist incident or it might be you know a safeguarding incident and, and yet as a, as a child who grew up in the 80s in the middle of the troubles in an area that was pretty hot um as regards the conflict we never got any sort of drills about diving under the tables and and believe you me the windows shook a couple of times with a couple of explosions but still that that's the difference of the generations of like i'm not saying it's bad now i think it's just different now because the world has evolved but equally that evolution has created a new set of problems which i think needs a new set of solutions and that new set of problems needs us as teachers to probably step into a kind of gap that exists and that gap is the gap that probably used to be filled a lot more by parents sorry elephant in the room i'm saying it i think there's an encroachment too much now on schools because everything now seems to be what are they learning at school what are they learning at school what are they learning at school what were they taught at school what were they taught at school my parents took it as my personal safety as their number one responsibility on the maslow hierarchy of needs a child's safety is, is a parent's number one priority it has to be always has to be and as a teacher and i know when i do school trips it's the thing that gives us sleepless nights you know we are in locus parentis we are the child's parent and that is the sacrosanct situation if i'm in charge of those children their health and safety has to be of paramount importance I think we're brilliant on the physical stuff. We're very, very good on the physical stuff. But at the same time, it's the mental stuff now. And the problem with that is, is that who is again now responsible for children's safety? Is it the government? I mean, does the government have a part to play in children's safety? Is it the parent that has, you know, the, 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 the ultimate arbiter until that child hits 18, that they are ultimately responsible for the child's safety? But there's also this element. How responsible are the children? for their own safety and how was you know and, and this is the thing we can tell them how many times have i taught lessons on cyber bullying and cyber safety and so yet i did that recently when i taught a lesson on cyber bullying and cyber safety and i thought wow they got it they really got it and, I, and they were getting some of my most high emotionally high charge stuff you know stuff where i thought wow i've made a difference you know when you walk away and you think yeah that's good you know you know, I've, I've done a good job there. They get it, you know, they get the impact of, of cyberbullying and they understand cyber safety. Yeah, I've made a difference there. And you, when you walk away and you think, yeah, I've made a difference there. Go me, you know, way, you know, done my job and feel proud of yourself. Only to find out the next day that two of the children you were talking to, they went home that night and just continued to do exactly what they'd done before. And you go, what is it? Is it my lesson? Was it my lesson wrong? Did I, did, I, did I not emotionally connect? Did I not do enough? Did I not explain this? 
Did I not, was my clarity the problem? Was, was I not passionate enough? Was my delivery not pitched right? And you, you do that and you go, and then you just got to ask yourself that question. I could tell them 50 times to block, delete, block, delete, and do not do certain things. And it doesn't matter. They're going to do it. Which just absolutely is infuriating because you're going, I am trying so hard to educate you. And it's a bit like the doctor giving medicine to a sick patient. And, and the sick patient just turns around and goes, nah, not taking it. I mean, what would you do? What, what, are you, what are you meant to do there? You know, take the medicine, shove it down their throat and say, I'm sorry for your own benefit here. I'm shoving this medicine down your throat because hey, you, you ain't buying it. And the only thing you understand is me shoving that medicine down your throat. You won't like it. But is that it? Is that, is that, is that what I'm left with? Because I don't know many times in every school up and down the country, we are literally doing our best, I think, as much as possible. I don't know any of my colleagues or any school that is not trying to do as much as they can when it comes to cyberbullying, when it comes to cyber safety, when it comes to the internet, when it comes to proxy servers. And this is the thing where we're, we are trying our best, but something just isn't working. Is it? Is it the government legislation? Is that the final piece of the jigsaw puzzle? Is it that we need that help from the government? Or is that a bit of a cop-out? Is that us going, now? Oh, well, you know, that's the government to blame. And I, th I think the honest answer, and I think we all come to some similar conclusion, it's got to be the triumvirate. It's, it's got to be that the parent, the child, the, the school, the, the, the government, we've all got to work together. And, and equally, we've got to kind of educate together. And I think we've got a part to play. And that's where this, this show, I think later on, what I want to look at is possibly how this can, can bleed into schools. And in particular, media literacy. The government have a media, again, I wonder, do you know this? But in July, the government released their media literacy um, strategy, which I hadn't heard of until I actually researched doing this show. <laughs> Good job. Well done. Really publicized that. Considering it's an online safety bill that they're talking about, and it's a media strategy, and it's an online media strategy that hasn't really been much in the media. Mm, bit of a contradiction there, if you ask me. But they're trying to bring in their online safety bill, which is part of this media strategy. But this is released in July, and it's the first time I've ever seen it. Now, again, I could say, well, gosh, it's it up to me to go. Is it up to me as a teacher with all the other things I have to do, the 415 children I teach, four different subjects I teach across four or five different year groups, the 30 children I've got a tutor group, the head of department that I run, the 3,000 pieces of data I just recently inputted, the you know responsibilities I have as a union rep, your strikes coming up. Is it my responsibility to go off and find out about this when it should be and could be communicated to me? And that is my problem a lot of the time where I think we sometimes are, are kind of judged on this. So I know Ofsted will come in and judge us on this. And you'd say, you're judging us on it, but what based on what criteria? We're doing our best. I think educators are doing their best. I think it's an ever-folding situation that we need to get ahead of, and I think we need help. I think schools now need help. And this online safety bill might be part of the help that we would need because it escalates. And that's for me, I think it's the important thing now. It starts to escalate um, the situation. It starts to give us that little bit of, of legislation to back us up, to say, look, we're right in talking about this. But there's also another problem we have as educators. Some of us are actually a bit afraid to talk about the things like, you know, the online safety stuff because it opens Pandora's box. And and I was told about 10 years ago when I when I first sat down with um, the, the old head of um, discipline in my school 
whose philosophy was if it didn't come into school, then it wasn't our, our it wasn't our job. And and that was what the situation was ten years ago, where you know there was there was stuff being brought into school from printouts of of, of Bebo and MySpace. And and her philosophy was, well, I'm sorry, but this has got nothing to do with school. These parents need to talk to the police. Those days are gone. I'd say now, if you look at any of your year heads or, or any of your um, behavior people, are, are, you know, they are constantly, this is probably their number one biggest issue, uh, is constantly dealing with, if not a situation that is online, it's a situation accentuated by online, may have started online, but the root causes are connected to what's happening online. And, and therefore, I, I think the help will be welcome. So I'm, I'm praising the government for the fact that they're doing something about this online safety bill but criticising them for the speed that they're putting this in. Um, and equally, I, I think it needs to be fluid. I think it needs to be added to, and I think it needs to be constantly updated the same way that our CPD is constantly updated. But we also need the resources. And, and I felt this for years. We have an overpacked curriculum. And every time something happens in the media, all of a sudden it's, should we teach this in school? And you're like, hold on a second here, you've got the maths, you've got English as the core subjects, we want to do creativity, we want, and it's like, I look and you have enough time for PE, never mind, for the physical aspects of things, some schools aren't even getting their, 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 their full physical education quota, and you want to whack more in, but for me, and we discussed this last week, Adam and I, I believe that the pastoral side of things is ultimately more important than the academic, and I know some that might disagree with me on that, but I do think that's that's the important thing. The life skills, the the health and safety, the stoicism, the resilience, the character, uh, the determination. I, I think we need a lot more credence about misinformation. I think in the future, if we're not careful, our job is going to be destroyed in certain aspects by the credibility of the fact that some children won't believe us because they might believe their online influencer knows more than we do and i think that's where if this is not tackled dealt with and educated in, in a certain way it actually is a, it, it's, it's an existential threat to our actual occupation because children will not believe us they, they I'm, I'm sorry i'm you're teaching me geography climate change it's controversial I mean, what's climate change the world what you, you know we saw it during covid um you know, the disinformation disseminated from parents, the, the impact of, you know, people on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter accounts. And again, you know, people like myself and Tom Rogers or, and Tom HB, you know, who are teacher talk radio presenters, we're historians. We know this. We, we know that, you know, one of the things we have to teach is, is, is sources and how, uh, you know, valuable um, it is to be able to evaluate sources. But we don't get enough time. We, we don't get enough time to do that because we've got such content, content, content led. So for me, if the government are going to do something like the online safety bill, they really do have to look at the organization of school. They have to give us the time, the training, the funding and the priority and, and equally the support that we need rather than just simply produce another. All right, schools, we're going to judge you on this. We don't know how you're going to do it. Here's our advice. Off you go. <laughs> Because they do that a lot, you know. Yeah, here you go. We want you to do this. Here's a website. Here's some advice. Here's the guidance, by the way. I love when they do guidance. Like, it's great when they do guidance. You're like, And then they judge you on it. And you're like, can you give us concrete resources? Can you give us funding? Can you give us specifically trained teachers? 
what would you say that you have a couple of experts, expert teachers in the area who are, we used to have um, advanced skills teachers back in the day, about 10, 12 years ago. And those advanced skills teachers used to go around the community sharing their teacher skills. What would we say we don't have advanced skills pastoral teachers, you know, you know, who are good talkers, you know, get this guy in, this guy knows how to do with them. And because that, that's what, you know, Tom's, Tom Rogers is going to do tomorrow night. He's going to talk to a couple of experts on a radio show. But those couple of guys, if you had the government paid those guys who could, could talk about de-radicalization, talk about, you, you know, um, online safety. But this is the problem with academization and the way that we've lost control over our education system in a certain aspect of it used to be standardized. You know, your local council would have a person in the local council who would go out into. And I think that's where we're at as well. Like some schools would do this really, really well because they'll have the facilities, they'll have the resources, they have maybe the, they have maybe the staffing to do it. And maybe it's a priority for them and others, you know, they've got other things that they are being judged on, their data, for instance. So if the government are going to do this, they've got to do it. And they have to do it, not pay lip service to it and go, oh, yes, tick the box. We've done online safety. Here's the online safety bill. We're leading. In other words, we don't need the rhetoric from them. We don't need the kind of spin from them. We need the actual physical resources on the ground if we are going to tackle this epidemic of online safety issues, which is impacting upon the mental health and also even the physical health as well of our children lest we uh, abandon i think some children to the future of not being able to function even some of them because so, because they are zombies they are wired into that world and i think you know the evidence shows the hundred thousand children have just disappeared off the register attendance is, is up the you know is is is, is 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 up and down in some places so this is where we need to discuss that. So I'm going to go and break for the news now. And of course, we are sponsored by John Cat, uh, John Cat Publishing, which are absolutely fantastic, uh, brilliant CPD. I must confess, I meant to do something today, which was to go and have a look. Was there anything on John Cat on this topic? So I'm sorry I didn't get the chance to do that, but I'm sure there is. And I'll probably, in the, maybe in the break, what I'll do is I'll do a quick, quick search. But I'm sure there is, because it's absolutely fantastic catalogue that they've got John Cat. Uh, and again, CPD. And, and luckily, they, they sponsor our show. So please um, have a look at the John Cat um, website, uh, johncat.publishing.co.uk, I think it is. And, and equally, e also something else you might want to consider, um, becoming one of our presenters. Yes, doing what I'm doing right now. And I normally do this uh, with uh, my friend Adam, so you can co-present. Um, we're quite flexible on how you present as well. We can do Twitter space. We can do this as well. Um, yeah, so we can you can look at presenting as well. And it's good fun. It really is, actually, once you get into it. And it's it's good for CVs. It's even good for your CPD as well, because it uh, gets you gets you to think about things that might you not think about before. And, and it's a great team as well. So think about joining us as a host. So I'm going to break for the news. And when I return, I'm going to have a little more uh, conversation. Please, you can call in. I've seen some um, some of you liking the show there. I see Paul Falls has liked the show. Uh, Robert's liked the show. Uh, Tom is in the room there. I can see 86 Bad Love. I hope uh, 86 Bad Love. Is that reference to Slippery When Wet? I'm, get, I'm judging that that is a Bon Jovi fan. That's got to be a Bon Jovi fan. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna put up one a limb that '86 Bad Love. That's the, that's the year that that uh, Bad Medicine was released, and it looks a bit like Bon Jovi there. So I'm gonna go with go with that. And yes, that's Susan who's in the room. So uh, I'll see you in a couple of minutes after after we have the news. Okay. 
This show is brought to you in partnership with Jomcat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Strike action dominates the news again, with a range of outlets reporting on disputes across England, Wales and Scotland. Whilst the NASUWT union reported 9 out of 10 teachers who voted in a ballot overpay, voted in favour of strike action in England and Wales, the union also reported only a 42% turnout. This is below the threshold needed for lawful strike action. The union stated that whilst a strike would now not go ahead, the union remains in formal dispute with the government. The NEU is yet to release the results of its ballot and will also need to reach the 50% member turnout needed for lawful industrial action. In Scotland, the Scottish Secondary Teachers Association has warned of further strike action following walkouts by primary and secondary staff. It says it has no option unless the Scottish Government puts forward a suitable pay offer. The AIS union and Scottish NASUWT members also aim to continue with strike action until an agreement is reached. Scottish Education Secretary Shirley Ann Somerville maintains that the demand for a 10% pay rise continues to be unaffordable. Meanwhile, the University and College Union has announced 15 new strike days planned across 150 UK universities in February and March. It has said that a pay offer worth between 4 and 5% made during recent talks is not enough, although the group representing university employers says that the offer is actually worth up to 7%. This comes after the government announced that tuition fees in England will be frozen for another two years. Although this is good news for students, the strikes mean more disruption to courses already affected by the pandemic. However, the National Union of Students has been broadly supportive of the industrial action, at least so far. Away from strike action, there have been further stories focusing on what should be taught in schools. This time, the focus is on educating pupils in the dangers of social media in spreading messages that are misogynistic and deeply toxic. The HuffPost website reports on Labour MP Alex Davy-Jones, who called in Parliament for ministers to do more to stamp out Andrew Tate-style misogyny and to stop boys being brainwashed. The MP asked what was being done to tackle radicalisation of young men, but PM Rishi Sunak responded that he was proud that this government launched the world-leading, world-first online safety bill. He also made reference to the autumn statement announcement of £2 billion of extra funding to schools. Although he did not respond with any direct reference to Tate, the online safety bill is expected to complete its final stages in the Commons shortly, before heading to the House of Lords. New figures released recently show that school absences in December were almost double the annual rate and that this was due to illness. The absence rate, as reported in the Evening Standard, was 14.3% across state schools in the week beginning December the 12th, an increase from 7.8% across the year. 
The Department for Education in England said the increase was due to a rise in sick days as a result of winter illnesses such as flu, as well as COVID-19 and strep A infections such as scarlet fever. In the Channel Island of Jersey, BBC News reports that the government has brought in 11 UK supply teachers to cover for absent staff. The short-term and long-term measures have been put in place due to staffing shortages and the supply teachers will cover for up to two terms. Short-term housing has been organised for those travelling to the island. The Jersey government said the current vacancy rate for Jersey was 4.3%, but that the long-term plan was to train, recruit, retain and upskill school staff. Finally, the Meanwhile in the Middle East section of the CNN website reports on the United Arab Emirates' plan to become the first Arab nation to teach about the Holocaust in its schools. The move has been praised by some and criticised by others. The nation revealed its plans in a recent tweet and intends to include Holocaust education in both primary and secondary schools. The UAE says it will work with Tel Aviv and Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Jerusalem, to help build the new curriculum. Whilst many see the move as part of the normalisation of relations with Israel, critics suggest that it does not reflect all of those living in the UAE, with many disagreeing with this policy. Full details of the story can be found on the CNN website, with comments on both sides explored in detail. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, let's start the new year with investigating the power of artificial intelligence in education. A lot of people are asking, does your school block chat GPT? First of all, what is it? Chat Generative Pre-trained Transformer, or GPT for short, is a piece of software designed to mimic talking to a person. The difference is, this person is super clever, and it's been trained by thousands of conversations in the past, and it remembers them all. There are lots of chatbots out there. GPT is popular with young people as the answers it gives are not only correct, but can be slightly different each time, so it's more difficult for a teacher to spot a copy and paste homework. Let's put it to the test with a couple of school questions. I'm using a screen reader to represent ChatGPT to give it a voice. Responses are usually in text and appear as if they're being typed really quickly. I asked, what are the registers in a processor? And I got... Registers are a type of memory that is built into the central processing unit, CPU, of a computer. They are used to store data and instructions that the CPU needs to access quickly in order to perform its functions. There are different types of registers, each with a specific purpose. For example, the instruction register stores the current instruction that the CPU is executing, while the program counter register stores the address of the next instruction to be executed. I'll stop GPT there as three paragraphs were given in this answer and it's only a one or two mark question. So I asked, can you tell me in two sentences? And I got... Registers are small, high-speed memory units built into the central processing unit, CPU, of a computer that are used to store data and instructions. They allow the CPU to access and manipulate data and instructions quickly, enabling it to carry out complex tasks at high speeds. Well, thank you, GPT. That's much more to the point. Powerful, right? How about, can you summarise Of Mice and Men? Of Mice and Men is a novella by John Steinbeck, published in 1937. It tells the story of George Milton and Lenny Small, two displaced migrant ranch workers during the Great Depression in California. Despite their apparent differences, the two men are deeply bonded and rely on each other for companionship and support. The novella ends tragically when Lenny, a simple-minded man with a love for soft things, accidentally kills a ranch owner's wife while trying to touch a soft dress, and George is forced to make the difficult decision to euthanize Lenny before he can be punished for the crime. That's fantastic. However, there's some words in there that are quite big, and my teacher would be quite suspicious that I copied and pasted it. So I'll ask, can you summarize Of Mice and Men simply? Of Mice and Men is a story about two ranch workers, George and Lenny, who are traveling together and looking for work during the Great Depression. 
Lenny is a large, simple-minded man with a love for soft things, and George is his caretaker and protector. Despite their differences, the two men are deeply bonded and rely on each other for companionship and support. However, their relationship is ultimately tested when Lenny accidentally kills a ranch owner's wife, and George is forced to make a difficult decision to protect Lenny from the consequences of his actions. That's more like it. Now my homework's done, I think I just bought myself some more time on my games console. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. So, uh, hiya, and welcome back. A um, couple of things, actually. That's really, really, I love, always love our news stories. I, I somehow seem to dovetail nicely in, because that's one of the things I always like to do, is, is perform a show, is have a look at what's, what's really topical in the week within education. And, and obviously a teacher talk radio guys and have done exactly the same. But one of those stories is quite, is quite interesting, UAE. Now I've partnered with uh, my school through the British Classrooms Project, which was connecting classrooms. And there's the irony, connecting classrooms. And that was like 2009. And what we did was uh, three schools in Derbyshire connected with six schools in the UAE. And it was part of the British Council's, you know, cultural exchange. You know, it's a bit of a soft power thing. You know, but it's fantastic, though. And I went out to UAE, went up to Burj Al Arifa, etc. We brought them over. We brought their teachers over to the UK and took them around Derby County Football Club Stadium, took them up to Chatsworth House. It was fantastic. And, and some, of the, the, some of the learnings between both sides was fantastic. But I think it's amazing the UAE, you know, is, is embracing teaching Holocaust education. Uh, and reconciliation and, and and I think that's exactly what we need to do is evolve it goes back to that evolution and it goes back to the power of education but one thing to note was is that um, ironically I'm an Irishman and I was representing the British schools initiative and, and the same goes for the UAE because of the six teachers um, who were representing UAE schools um, only one of them was actually an Emirati the rest were um, Palestinian Syrian Jordanian Egyptian and, and and therefore, you know, it's it was a, a population made up of economic migrants who had teachers who'd come in as expats. So I could suppose that the resistance possibly to that might come from you can imagine a situation where you have a Palestinian um, who's teaching, you know, in the UAE, and that's a good possibility. That so that's why there might be some resistance to that. But it does show the power of education. So I thought I I, could, I couldn't let that go without having that little bit of a uh, a sort of um, context to that. Uh, the other one was uh, Steve and um, his tech tech talk there, which I, I think had some relevance to the online safety bill there. And I know again that one of our um, one of our colleagues, Tom, has done the uh, a show on this about the AI coming into into education and the chat the chat thing, isn't it? And what's interesting is I I did this myself about two thousand and eleven, uh, and what I did was um, back in the day when we got kids to do homework. And I used to get kids to do like a intrinsically motivated homework. I'd say I want them to write essays. I used to get kids to write historical essays. 
and they'd have to do the research themselves. And of course, you'd say, look, yes, you can go on specific websites of like, so it used to be BBC Bite Size, and I used to give them Spartacus, and there used to be four or five websites of what I'd say, go onto those websites and have a look at that materials there. And of course, there'd be the odd, odd kid who would try it. And what they try to do is they just lift and copy and paste. And what I then did was I went into Wikipedia, as you could back then, and I edited, we did a, an essay on Napoleon, and I edited Wikipedia to put some mistakes in it. So I literally put some mistakes in it. And the children came in and went, yeah, that's my work, sir. And I went, really? It's not the Wikipedia article? No, 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 no. Those mistakes I put in. And it was one parent in particular who I knew was doing the ch child's homework all the time. And literally they argued with me, went, oh no, I sat and did the work with the child. I sat and did the work with the child. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you went to Wikipedia, didn't you? Because I could see the mistakes you put in the work. So, and again, it's back to that. Every generation is going to have the situation where children are going to try and find a way to get away with doing what they get away with doing. So again, we just have to constantly evolve, don't we? We've got to be one step ahead and we've got to be mindful of the, the, the technology and mindful of its capabilities um, because there'll be a loophole there that very clever, intelligent children will try to exploit. And, and that's one of the things I love about working with young people is that they do keep you young, they keep you fresh, they keep you healthy, they keep your mind absolutely, you know, tip top. Because in order to engage with young people, you, you have to you have to understand their world. You have to be able to think like them a little bit. But that encourages you then to think outside your own little sphere and your own little box. And and that in itself is 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 the positive side of of, of this constantly, you know. And it has good implications for your own life because. I think it makes you more savvy, tech savvy, internet savvy, media savvy, but it's also part and parcel of our job. And it does come back again then to training and making sure that we, we are constantly being um, trained and our CPD reflects that. And a part of that CPD could be to listen to teachers talk radio because what you get with us is you're getting exactly that cutting edge, right up to the money, um, discussion and debate about stuff that's happening right now in education and, and stuff that happened and possibly in the future, like AI. And like I say, there might be somebody in the future who may turn around and, and listen back to this podcast in 10 years' time and go, yeah, yeah, oh, that guy was well out of date then, wasn't he? I, you, again, this is the beautiful thing about it. It's all where we are now. It's not where we're going to be uh, in 20 years. And you think about when I started, it was it was acetates. Um, and now you've got like networked, you know, putting stuff. I'm trying to put all my information now of old memory drives. I've got about six memory drives stashed around the place. If you're like me, you've probably got memory drives with cables all mixed up, you know, memory drives for this, that, the other. But of course we don't need memory drives any longer because it's all in the ether of the place, which is the OneDrive, which I still can't get my head around because I'm going, where is this OneDrive? Who is this OneDrive? Where does this OneDrive exist? Where can I plug in this OneDrive? But then when I remember I started, I'm on a right history trip today, aren't I? I remember my first lessons I planned were on floppy disks. I used to have about 50 floppy floppy disks because I was way ahead of everybody else for using PowerPoint for the first time. And I was using PowerPoint with a, you know, a, a laptop that was the size of a massive small country sat on a desk with a projector jury rigged. And I was showing PowerPoint and yet I could only get one PowerPoint show onto one floppy disk. 
So it's it, again, even the technology of what we're using constantly updates, and that's why we constantly have to be updated as well. So coming back to the online safety bill, and um, the online safety bill is currently going through Parliament, and the online safety bill is the government's flagship sort of proposal to, they say, introduce world-leading measures to tackle the risks of, of safety of users, in particular children, but they're also talking about adults as well. So it's not just about children, it's all about users. The big headline is, is that they want to hold, um, and this is where the rebellion is, the, some MPs want to hold, they want put into it that the, the tech giants, the owners of the tech giants are liable for the content on their websites. And they are, therefore, they have to be responsible for what's going on. And that in itself is is um, it's quite tricky because at the moment, it, it is, as I say, the Wild West. It, it is so open, the internet. And, and therefore, like anything else that is loose and open, therefore, it's open to abuse. And, and, and that's the old-fashioned behaviourist teacher in me kicking in when I like rules, organisation, structure, hierarchy and things. Because sometimes you do have to insist on order, on chaos, because that's what the internet is at the moment. But the other side of that, that chaos is sometimes created, you know, fantastic platforms. So you don't want to destroy the, the, the essence of the internet, but at the same time, regulation is not a bad thing because obviously what's working at the moment is is we're having the negative impacts from cyberbullying, cyber safety, online grooming, radicalization, um it, it, all of those things, online gambling, um there's so many different things that are going on um with the young people when it comes to the internet that we do need to close some of it off. We do need to protect them without in essence taking away the ability to use the internet, but also taking away the spirit of it, because I'm speaking to you right now uh, via the internet. And, and there is the positive side of it. And, and I keep in contact with my parents and, and they, they've got to know their grandchildren because they're in a different country through the internet. So we can all go, oh, the internet's you know brought all these negative things. It's also brought a lot of positive things, a lot of positive things for the future, employment types of jobs. And that's one of our jobs is to prepare our children for the future to give them the key skills, the life skills, to give them the ability to be able to evolve and to give them that ability to be able to be, again, use the correct judgment. It's it's about that decision-making, isn't it? And it is about making sure that decision-making is is the good decision-making. So the government say themselves, where we live in is rapidly changing with digital technologies at the heart of it. The internet has radically altered the way we live our lives from the way we access and use, how we communicate with others. So being online is a huge positive experience. The government recognised that. Person-to-person interaction, however harmful interactions also having in society, stoking divisions, making abuseful hate uh, content appear more socially acceptable. And that's what we've seen again with the likes of the trolling. And and you, you saw it with the Andrew Tate stroke, um, Greta Thunberg, where people who would normally never never come across each other are starting to kind of like come, you know, fight. I've seen one recently where uh, one of my favourite BBC presenters um, was, was suggesting that somebody was insulting his neurodivergence. And, and I felt so angry at that thought because that's somebody I have a lot of respect for. And I, and I had to stop myself from going on to that person who they said that about and then posting up and saying leave him alone and, and you go whoa whoa stop 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 it's nothing to do with me but it has to do with me and that's literally what's starting to happen is, it, is that we're almost being drawn into that world of it's kind of like it's got very tribal isn't it and, and it has become very divided very very rich them and us and even the whole algorithm situation as well is, is creating that we amplify 
And, and again, the implications for our democracy. Whoa, 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 whoa. Cambridge Analytica, hello, front stage front and center. You know, we, we, we are in, I do believe we're in an age now where we have to be very mindful as a society. Um, and we saw that during many of the debates, and I don't want to, to dig up those previous debates, but I know that, say, for instance, the last election, we had uh, what we call the echo chambers. And echo chambers are when you, you have everybody who shares your views with your own views being bounced back. I don't know if that's healthy, because then it reinforces your own view. And I think, again, within a, 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 I want to encourage like I want to encourage here, if everybody wants to ring in, discuss with me, disagree with me, you are more than welcome. That's the that's the situation here. You're more than welcome to ring into this this, this show. You're more welcome to disagree with me. You're more than welcome to have a discussion, a debate. I think that's what's healthy is is coming across people who have completely different ideas. But we're we're in that situation now where the the internet and the media is starting to push people into certain niches and and maybe free will. I mean, are you being algorithmically controlled? I mean. We've all known this sort of big brother technology that's that's insidiously bringing in. So this is all the things that we have to think about with our children when it comes down to it, making sure they get a broad and balanced diet um, across different things. Um, and again, when we recommend websites, because we have to do this, don't we? We say to the children, I want you to do some research in this. Something we do anyway, don't we? We say, right, okay, I want you to go and have a look at this source. I want you to have a look at this information. And we recommend certain websites, don't we? Certain, um, certain sources that have information that we want to get from them. And we have to again be, be be mindful that we ourselves know if, if that is unconsciously biased. And of course, I never like to use the word bias. I always say that to children, there's no point in using the word bias because everybody's biased. Saying something's biased is like saying something something's somebody's a human being, you know, because everybody's biased. But it's recognizing that there is an inherent bias in something that is important rather than just assuming. And it is that cross-referencing skill. And again, I think it's very important for me as a humanities teacher and a historian specifically, that we have to teach those key skills of being able to know, you know, what's accurate, what's re- what's what's reliable. And and again, I'd like to see more of that come into schools and more priority for that, which is more skills-led rather than knowledge-based curriculum. And at the moment, we're in a knowledge-based curriculum, and I think we should be moving more towards a little more of a skills Based curriculum, which again would contradict slightly the, the the way that we're now being set up to make sure that the kids know knowledge, because that's the other aspect is if the kids kids need to know knowledge. Uh, your, your your Steve's couple of minute tech thing was saying that. What's the point now? Me, you know, giving the kids the knowledge when they can just say, go off and find out by just saying, what is that? Is it more now about being able to know if that what they've been told is accurate, reputable? And the source of the information you know respectable and i think that's where we're missing a bit of a trick at the moment and, and where everything's got a little bit sort of um too overloaded i think overloaded is probably the best way to put it when you think of the world we live in one of the most famous companies really its job is to f- filter through the internet and find you what you want you realize that the internet got to that point where it became overloaded when the most important organization in it was somebody who found you things on this huge ether which basically makes it like a giant cataloging service. <laughs> That's all it is when you think about it. And it's funny when I say to kids like, oh, you know, where'd you find that? They'll go, I found it on Google. And you're going, yeah, but you know, they don't produce anything. They, they just search it for you. And it's interesting their perception, that, you know, when you have to sort of say, it's just a search engine. It's not the producer of it. 
And I've even had kids quote that before and, you know, can you please put like where you got the source of the information from? It's the same with YouTube. They'll go, I got it on YouTube. I got it on Twitter. I got it on Google. I got it on TikTok. They, they'll mention the name of the place, but they won't, they, it's interesting. They don't focus on the person as much. And, and of course, they, they're very naive in the sense of like, oh, if it's on the internet, it must be all right. You know, because somebody's gone to, why would somebody like, there's, there's a genuine naivety sometimes with our children that I think we have to be to be mindful of that they are vulnerable in that sense. Um, and I always use the, uh, the Father Christmas analogy there that somewhere along the line, they kind of knew that that wasn't right, but they still went along with it. And, and that's the thing with the internet as well. It's, it's kind of, if, you, if it's repeated often enough, it's very propagandish, isn't it? If you see something repeated often enough by enough people, you start to believe that becomes the truth. So online safety bill, uh, let's watch that space. Um, coupled with the government strategy for, for literacy, for online literacy, should be interesting for us, for us teachers. Um, it should give us, I think, what we need to be able to sort of um, push back a little bit and say, look, the, the guys behind the, the internet now have to have some responsibility and some laws. So I'd say within the, by the time we come around to September, I would suspect by the time we come around to September and we have our new CPD and our new guidance, I would suggest that we will have, when this bill goes through, hopefully, I, I think it should go through, I think it needs to go through, as long as, again, it gets through the likes of the House of Lords and some of the tweaks in it and some of the, um, and the law is, is, is robust enough, but equally is accurate enough and is workable. Because that's the thing with laws have to be work, work, workable. Um, the government will claim, of course, that this is going to be world changing, the first of its kind. If it is, that's absolutely fantastic. Some will, of course, attack it as being um, anti-free speech. Um, and they'll say, you know, nanny state. And, and that'll be interesting to see when you look at some of these stories. Now, I would react to that by going through, for instance, um, all of the news stories that I have. And I've, I've got a, a plethora of one here about, you know, um, Molly Russell, for instance. Um, and, and that's it's horrible, isn't it? We Molly Russell's 14 years old. Uh, and she, she took her own life in November 2017 because of the negative effects of online content. It was the first time a British inquest ruled that social media contributed to a child's death. So, and that's 2017. We know the pandemic has accentuated things. Now, the pandemic's an easy thing to say, oh, you know, COVID did this, COVID did that. No, all it did was exaggerate and accentuate what's already happening. And in, in, in essence, it, this was happening anyway, but it made it worse because you had the children at home and they were on the internet. And you get a lot of people say, oh my gosh, the children suffered a lot during COVID. And you're like, yeah, okay. They were locked, locked indoors for many, hardly a problem. And they were what? On the internet all day long. Now, could you imagine if during the global pandemic, the internet went down and we ran out of pasta? We'd be in big trouble because that's literally what a lot of our children were doing. You know, and I suppose in my generation, imagine we had lockdown then. We've been all right as long as we had our full collection of VCRs to watch back all our movies. Uh, and that's what we would have done. We would have got out our, our board games. We would have uh, gone outside and well, we wouldn't be able to play games of football. But we would have made our own entertainment as we did back then. But it probably would have meant, you know, watching lots of um, our online video category that had been, you know, all the VCRs that we had. So this is the thing about it. The children just retreated to that world. And I know there's so much evidence about the social side of things and how they they started producing the TikTok videos in their bedrooms and uh, and how they then you know retreated you know this you know we see some some negative impacts of 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 children not you know socially adjusted because they 
didn't have conversations with people. And we all, so many of us, if you ask any school in the country, will tell about the behavioural issues as a result of getting back to normal after. But that's what the children did. A lot of them retreated to the online world, which I think then, of course, fueled into the likes of the Andrew Tates of this world, because he, he was there at that time, took advantage of that, grew his audience. And I think he's not the only one who is able to do that. You've seen the uh, radicalisation of more children. I think the um, the government's um, prevent strategy uh, has, has increased the, the number of children who are now you know, on the books for being uh, potentially um, radicalised. And there has been more of that as well. So there's more online radicalisation from far right groups in certain areas of the Midlands and the north of England. And we've seen court cases on that as well. Uh, in this area where I am actually living at the moment, we, we had a situation where a young girl was radicalised. And again, sadly, she, she took her own life. And, and initially she was being charged with um, the criminal offence of, 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 of terrorism. But actually then when they evaluated what happened to her, it was the fact that she was the victim herself. And, and then an interesting one, and I don't want to get too far into it, but um, I have the news story from the end of December that lawyers for Shamina Begum claim that the police and her school missed opportunities to stop her travelling to Syria and joining ISIS and should have stopped her. Lawyers said on the 10th of December 2014, five days before a friend's departure, an assessment was conducted by her academy and, and the risk identified and, and that she was at risk of radicalisation and that she may leave school and home, and that was filtered through. Chance she may go to Syria. It was noted that uh, she was close to friends who had left the school who had gone to Syria. Her only, the only step that appears to be taken was that the police attended the academy and spoke to her. So that's the thing. It, we are living in a world now where we are knowing a lot more. We have more responsibilities. And if you have a safeguarding officer in school, I guarantee you that they are probably one of the most stressed, overworked, and probably um, hardest individual to be, to be their mental health. And they must be coping. I spoke to my safeguarding officer recently, and they're just getting, you know, it's my concern after my concern after my concern. And I suppose the problem is, is that you end up, uh, where do you start? Who's the priority? It's triage. You know, where, where do we, and this comes back to about, you know, schools having to cope with all of society's sort of issues you know, radicalization, the the the, um, the cost of living crisis. Um, and in the midst of all this, I mean, this is an interesting story. We have a school in um, Chelmsford that has banned pupils from having romantic relationships or from hugging as part of the new rules to make them focus on their learning. So a letter sent by parents uh, says they do not will not tolerate any physical contact between members of the school community. Now, I'm in trouble there because I'll go down the corridor and give a high five to some of my students. Yeah, I, I have no problem doing it. Fist pump, high five, you know, during the whole COVID thing, it was elbows. You know, I, I'm, I'm, a, you know I'm, I'm a bit like that. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of an, an old school. I mean, some of my colleagues don't like me for it. You know, there's one or two that will never give me a high five, but I'm a high fiver. I wonder how many, uh, many of you out there would agree with me. I'm, I'm still of that generation that has no problem. Of, of giving a fist pump high five um in fact one of my colleagues and i we have our little top gun thing when he comes down one side of the corridor i come down the other side of the corridor and we do the he does the high five down low you know and, and literally walk and you want to see the kids facing that sometimes because they're they're looking going, what are these two doing and we do because i'm a lot shorter than him he's a lot taller than me so it works we're, we're mav and goose basically back to the 80s maverick and goose doing a high five so this school has banned any physical contact i don't know how they're going to do sport i mean 
must must have just basketball or netball. Um, But there again, it says, look, the letter said any aggressive physical contact, hugging, holding hands, slapping someone would not be tolerated, adding, this is in order to keep children safe. Parents have criticized the hands-off policy, but the school has said most parents and pupils are supportive of it. It engenders mutual respect and encourages pupils to behave professionally as part of any future employer would expect. Okay, um, I'm in two minds on that. I understand what they're trying to do. I see I see the logic on it. But equally, you know, relationships are at the heart of what we do in schools. Um, and relationships are what we do. Um, and, and again, it's it's all got to do with the context. It's really, really important. Um, I suppose it works for one school, doesn't work for another as well. But if that's what that school believes it has to do, I'm sure there is a lot more to that story of along the lines of, well, is there an issue within, you know, inappropriate, inappropriate, you know, um, relationships or equally, has there been issues that we talked about misogynistic situations? Um, have they felt that this is the only thing that they can do in order to to stamp out, you know, what, what, what maybe might be a problem? I, I can't judge it. But what I can say is it's a pretty radical thing to suggest that the school bans, you know, hugging or having relationships or any physical contact now do not get me wrong if i see two kids coming down the corridor holding hands <laughs> i laugh i think it's sweet but at the same time i'm like come on oh come on i do the whole you know the two fingers in the thing oh come on guys oh. you know and, and maybe that's the the old guy in me going like oh come on or you the you know and I don't like, I'm going to be old fashioned a little bit. I don't like to see it. It's nice, sweet, but not in school, not inside the school building. You know, in the time and a place, absolutely fine. But it, again, it, it's down to context. Some people have no problem with that. I know some of my colleagues won't have a problem with that. I, I just find it, no, I'm, I'm not entirely a little bit completely, you know, enamored with that because I think, oh, okay. But sometimes you look at you look at some, some, some kids who are in a relationship and it is very sweet and it is very innocent and it is... And it is lovely. And and you can actually see sometimes when you, you sit down with uh, one of my students recently and they say, look, you, you seem a lot happier recently. You seem more settled. And he looked at me and says, I find it, I find it, I find a nice person to be with. I'm like, oh, great. How's that getting on? And then I realized who it was. And, and literally, it was a positive influence. And, and I said to the head of the year, I said, he's doing really well recently. And, and her response was, we've got to keep that relationship going to the end of the exams because uh, should that break off, we're back to where we were before anything. Actually, but it's the same as any relationship with you know you know your friends if they're they're going through a messy divorce or, or, or terrible relationship they're not themselves but equally you know yourself when somebody finds happiness and somebody finds you know good honest company of somebody's company they enjoy that's a nice thing but the school feels that it's it's now it has to regulate and you think wow it has to regulate that's a bit you know draconian in, in some people i'm sure that that that's one of those news stories that probably in the local press has, you know, one side saying, oh, let the kids, you know, it's all part of what growing up, isn't it? You know, and you've got to be safe, you know, but at the same time, we've got to, you know, you should be allowed to, oh, come on, you know, that's a bit too, and I might get lawyers saying, no, that's, I don't like to see that. I want kids to be kept apart like that. So again, that's the world we're living in now, that a school feels it has to come up with that type of policy because of situations being created. Um. How about this one? Uh, teachers face social media checks. So teachers are being asked to provide dating profiles and social media pseudonyms when applying for jobs at schools. The Times reported this one. As an increased number of fitness to practice hearings relating to teachers' behaviour on social media. 
So yes, as a union rep, I can tell you that I've had conversations with individuals to say, look, um, you might want to delete that. You might want to filter that. You might want to put the barriers up. And yeah, I'll have to have that conversation. And, and over the years, I've had that conversation less, to be honest with you, because in the early days, you know, we didn't know about safety and security. And and, and as I'm saying, you know, we, we, we all now have to check our accounts and we all have to check, you know, our, our ourselves because, you know, it's part of our, you know, standards of uh, teacher standards. I think it's number eight. And I think a lot of academies, a lot of a lot of schools will have a policy in there that says if you bring the school into disrepute, because you know, we're teachers for public property. We have to be mindful of our public image. We have to be mindful of our responsibility. We have to be mindful of our position in society. We cannot bring ourselves, our families, our school, or our profession into disrepute. Get that completely. It's 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 a responsibility being a teacher. And we have to be able to to manage that. We you can't behave like, you know. You used to behave you are public property in that aspect and some people don't like that but that's fine but that's what comes with being a teacher same goes for a police officer <laughs> you know what i mean you, you that's you're in the public eye you, you get to sign passports if you, you know you're justice of the peace and that's part, part of our wider responsibilities as teachers therefore we got to behave ourselves and you know that means not using swearing in public that means you know be mindful of what tweets you share that means be mindful of your political opinions be mindful of that how they're I, you know and i've had to myself take a long hard reflective look even doing this show you know how does that portray you know uh how does that image come across to to some parents or some of the children we just have to be so careful these days very careful these days and and that itself means it's not a bad thing because we have to be very uber professional fine so we'd be uber professional but is this again an extension overreach? Much like the should should a school regulate that children can't hold hands? In the same way that is it legit and fair enough that I turn around and say, "Here's all my social media accounts." And by the way, please have a read through all my. I mean, it's like somebody reading your diary. But then again, imagine you made your diary public. Then you, if you're making your diary public, then well, it's fair game, isn't it? So I can see again both sides on that. Um, and we say that one of the grammar schools in Buckinghamshire asked candidates to provide account names and handles for all their social media accounts, including any under a nickname or a pseudonym. Applicants were also told to provide information on any websites they were involved with, featured or named in as well, and any other publicly available online information about you, which the school should be made aware of. So that's what other activities would you be involved in? So if you're a local charity worker, if you're in, you know, a volunteer for a local political party, if you run the scouts group. So all your activities, oh, that's a big, big, big brother, isn't it? You know, it's just a little, isn't it? Any other publicity made with the school made aware of Jeff Barton, General Secretary of the School Leaders Union, ASCL, ASCO, said employers should decide how to use the government's keeping children safe in education guidance based on HR and legal advice. So, the gay would say, this is making sure they've done a deep dive on your personal sort of accounts to make sure you're not some sort of radical individual, make sure you don't have views that are not compatible. But then again, here's the problem with that. Is it that they're checking out your personality or is it they're checking out your suitability as a person to be able to teach children? You see, that's, that's the thing that worries me. Is you know um, they just mightn't like your account. They mightn't like who you are. That's that's that opens all a Pandora's box because I don't like this idea. I don't like this idea of, of somebody snooping on you and looking at your stuff. But then again, that's the world we live in. You know, it's 
that's the world of, of social media. You, you are in a glass cage. We, we have to get used to the fact that whatever you put out there is your public persona, your public personification. You can't, if you, if you put it out there and you create those accounts, what comes with it is that that loss of privacy. So therefore, if you don't want to have, you know, to disclose that you have these websites or, 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 or these social media accounts, then you delete them. But then again, you don't engage in that aspect of that world. So it's, 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 it's a catch-22. Um, the Department of Education said searches might help identify any incidents or issues that were publicly available online, which the school might want, quote-unquote, to explore during interviews. Schools should use, here's where it comes, professional judgment in considering any information that comes to light at all. See, there again. So what would a school using professional judgment actually mean? So what would a school exercising its professional judgment and again you know you go to a job interview you prepare for everything yourself you, you answer your questions but if somebody could be doing a psychological deep dial profile on your they might turn around and turn up things about you they just personally don't like oh i don't, I don't like this person they're big into the environment i don't, I don't they don't might like you your politics they might like your your background i don't know it just doesn't sit well with me it's maybe my my upbringing about trust i don't know if i like the idea that somebody's going through my social media accounts and judging me based upon that how's that impact upon my abilities to teach those children i mean is that way overreaching is that way overextending into into parts of a person that really you the, the, the government the state or even that employer shouldn't really have that but that's the world we live in now and therefore, if you know that's the world you're living in now, you have to adjust accordingly. And you have to be, if you're going into the teaching profession, mindful even before you're a teacher. And I've often said that again to the children I'm teaching. Is that, you know, you know, you've got your social media accounts now. Do you realize that in the future, this stuff, and we've seen that with sports people, haven't we? We've seen that with sports people when they're 15 or 16 and they posted up something with their mates that was banter. And then boom, it's come back to haunt them. Because then they're like, they have... Sorry, I was that kid when I was 15, 16. When I think the stuff I was like when I was 15, 14, 15, 16, 17, this is pretty, pretty dangerous stuff that we have to now not just say it or look after ourselves. We've got to say to these children now, you know, you've got to look after your own digital profile. I think there's a child in America who sued their parents because their parents, I think they're 15 or 16, was putting, you know, pictures on the internet of them, you know, at different ages. And they feel as if that's not fair that they've been, you know, they've had, their childhood taken from them because the whole world can see pictures. And, and that's, that's a fair point. That's why we had, you know, GPDR so that people have permission to share things. But then you have to, I suppose if you go for a job in that school, they would turn around and say to you, please, can you share your, um, your, your social media accounts? What would you, what would you, what, what, what would happen if you turn around and say, I'm sorry, I refuse to, would that be conditioned for non-employment? But then again, would they turn around and say, what are you trying to hide? And it might be, I'm sorry, I just don't think you have that sort of control over me. I don't want you to, to sort of, you're my employer, I'm not. You see what I mean? It's, it's, it's what happens somebody would, would, would reject that. There could be absolutely nothing wrong with that person, but they just might object to their employer snooping into their own personal life. Because, you know, some people like to keep their professional and their personal life separate, which is one of the reasons why some individuals use pseudonym accounts, don't they? They, they don't want, and I, I know a lot of my teacher colleagues that, you know, have a social media account with their maiden name or a nickname because they don't want the kids to chase them down. And we've 
going back to what we started with about the TikTok videos, staff are vulnerable out there sometimes because they can, the, the kids can go and, and say that I've heard this. Now, I'm okay with what I put out there. I put podcasts out there. I do this show. Kids can tune into the show. And I'm not, you know, I'm mindful of what I'm saying and I'm mindful of, of leaving that digital footprint. But I'm tech savvy enough and I'm experienced enough and I'm confident enough to know that what I'm doing is, you know, making sure I'm not crossing any, any lines. But that's the problem is we have to be ahead of, ahead of the curve. We have to be constantly thinking about our digital safety, digital security. And, and in particular, when it comes to this online safety bill, you know, there's been so many times that we, we, where teachers have been warned about, you know, uh, what they say and what they do. So it is an interest. It'd be interesting to see how that affects us. Um, and certainly, we we are definitely uh, more mindful of our own obligations to practice what we preach as well. Um, and that's that's really important. So I'm finished pretty much having a chat about the um, the online digital uh, safety online digital bill. It's hopefully it will go through Parliament with the uh, it will be coupled up with the government's literacy, and we'll see with that two billion pounds worth of funding that they've promised coupled with those two things actually starts to make a difference. In the meantime, um, we can see that teachers are warning of Andrew Tate's influence and we've all kind of produced some materials. Tom will talk about that uh, tomorrow night. Uh, and, and pretty much we're having to do, I still think, a lot of our own firefighting on this issue. And most schools tend to do something about it because we tend to know our children. But I, again, until this comes in, this social media bill comes in, I still think that we need a constant, we need, we'll, we'll almost need one in the pipeline after this one. We can't have the government go, oh, that's it, right, we've done the online media bill, uh, we, we, tick, we've done that, move on. I think this is a constant, a constant, almost there needs to be a bill going through Parliament almost every every year or so on this. In the same way that every year do we not get our, you know, updated CPD and updated, you know, um, safeguarding training. And when I look at what's on CEOP, or think you know, I'm constantly sometimes going on to see up, which is the uh, child protection website and the, and their educational um, side, which is think you know. But I've only done that because I used to be a PHSE coordinator, and I like to keep myself up to date and I like to have a look at what resources are on there when I'm doing a PHSE lessons on that. Or equally, given sometimes those resources to my head of PHSE said, here you know, have a look at this. This might be something interesting to do because I like to keep my finger close to the ground. So that's all right where we are with that. And I think going forward, hopefully that should be um, something to keep an eye on. Right, employment strikes um, was a news item. Monday, five o'clock, we will find out whether the NEU has got 50% and of the 50%, whether they have 80% of the 50%. In other words, they need 40%, a lot of mads there, of the actual union to say yes to striking. The NASUWT got 42%. And 90% of the 42% said yes to striking. So 9 out of 10 of their members who voted. But there's a bit of an inquest into where's the other 58%. And because of the government legislation on unions, and in particular uh, vital unions, of which teaching is, um, you need 50% of your members to return their ballot. And then you need 40% overall of the total actual union. Uh, and I got that straight from the horse's mouth, which was um, the Joint General Secretary of the NEU Union, which was my first Teachers Talk radio show way back in, I think, October it was, Kevin Courtney. And it'd be interesting, I might get Kevin back on in a couple of weeks when I see um, what happens. But it, it should be close. Um, there was 62% when the NEU balloted electronically. 62% returned their electronic ballot. Um, but 
a paper ballot is a little bit different when it comes to addresses, when it comes to the postal strike as well. Um, it's interesting, many might in the media might see it as, a well, teachers aren't bothered. Um, others might say, point out and say, this is unfair. It's, it's, it's trying to stop you know, teachers from striking by making the ballot as, as awkward as possible. You can elect a prime minister on an online poll, on online voting. Why can't you? And and yeah, I'll leave that with that because I think my opinions on that are a bit stronger than I want to give in, in a balanced show. Um, so we'll find out on the on, on Monday. I, I think there will be consequences either way. If we, if if any of you do not make the fifty percent ballot, uh, they may ballot again. They they I, I don't know what. The next steps are they, they'll tell us probably on on monday what the next steps are if they do reach the 50 percent, then it is whether the um the numbers are high enough of the people who voted i suspect the numbers will be high enough of the people that voted but my gut tells me it's close i i don't know either way and and i think it's that's what's worth uh tuning in if you're an new representative to the announcement at five o'clock um on monday tomorrow so that's where we are with strikes. Uh, there are ongoing strikes in Scotland at the moment. Um, the head teachers union is also balloting as well. Um, but the government is adamant that teacher strikes should not close schools, um, whereas the unions want to possibly um, coordinate their strikes. So I think education in the next month is going to be very much in the news as regards uh, unions, unions on strike, teachers paying conditions. And, and 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 as it's been filtering through, that's been a slow burn, hasn't it? The last couple of months of which we've we've dipped in and out. And obviously, we, we did our first show about um, of talking to the NEU uh, Joint General Secretary. At attendance in school and absence, we had Department of Education suggested that um, school attendance was fourteen percent. Um, all state sectors was down, and it should be seven point eight percent. So it was nearly twice um, the amount of attendance figures. And they put that down to COVID. They put that down to the the situation with the um, scarlet uh, fever, um, and they put it down to the um, stress or strep strep. Um, they put it that down to, and they put it down to high levels of flu. Um, as a result, officials urge people to keep children with fever off school and urge unwell unwell adults to wear face masks. So that was the government advice on the second of January, which we talked about in the last um, Teachers Talk Radio show with myself and Adam. Um, but that just shows you that the the that wasn't just anecdotal. The actual evidence was there that attendance in December was twice that what it should be, which shows that we were in you know where we were in that. And hopefully that's over Christmas may have calmed down a little bit. I know that anecdotally from my own school that attendance is not so bad at the moment, but that does seem to change from place to place. Um, there seems to be also a cultural shift blamed for more people skipping school. So head teachers and school leaders are increasingly worried about a cultural shift in attitudes causing a crisis in attendance with more pupils absent than before during the pandemic. We know that. Teachers say parents are now more, now more reluctant to send children to school. <laughs> well, they've been advised not to by the government. So it's kind of like chicken and the egg with that one, isn't it? And and parents are more resistant to efforts to encourage attendance. So he have the right hand saying, we want kids in school, we want kids in school, and the left hand saying, kids keep them off if they're not well. But then that's changing, that's having an impact on the culture of school, the importance of attendance. And anybody who's, who's been in education long enough will tell you there is such a direct correlation between attendance and academic outcomes. 
So I think there is going to have to be a sustained effort there in order to try and either resolve, you know, that culture shift. Um, but equally, there has been a lot of pushback from some parents about, you know, um, holidays. You know, some parents are resentful. It was a court case a couple of years ago where the parent was, was taking the court because his child's attendance was like 91% and he took his child on a holiday. So there's always that. And I think that, again, has a, a, another another issue between communities, their schools, the government trying to want the best for the child. But at the same time, we want the children in school. But parents, you know, are, are fighting against their children who sometimes, ironically, let's tie the two together, want to be at home having a duvet day, day, you know, being, being on the internet. And let's be honest with you, there are some children that happens to where they're just simply, you know, deciding they want to go to school today. They want to stay in and they want to do what they want to do up in, in, in Command Centre 101, a.k.a. the bedroom. So that's where we're heading with that. Rising bills, more more children being taken into care. So cost of living crisis is causing more children to go into care, more looked after children. Again, has implications for schools. Um, and, and again, we, we're seeing um, more of the social, the, the, the crisis caused by the uh, cost of living crisis becoming more of a social problem. Um, and that, I suppose, is where I'm going to leave that today. So what, what I've had discussion about today, to summarise, is the online basically online implications of the, of the um, for the schools as regards to the online bill from the, from the government um, and also you know our responsibilities this idea are we uh, where do we come in this and, and what, what can we do about it but equally are we the parent the child responsible and how far do we get responsible for it as well so if you want to listen back please listen back to this on um where you get your podcasts thank you very much for listening we have been sponsored again today by john cat and john cat our absolutely fantastic publisher of education material and it's our partnership that we have with them they're leading publisher of books directories educational guides and magazines which specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the uk and beyond so please check out their new next releases and uh, some fantastic titles in there and again some of our um, um podcasts and some of our uh, twitter spaces and some of our presenters have had a really good look at uh, some of the titles and done some actual um conversations with the authors as well so check those out as well some um, fantastic uh, interviews with that um so visit johncatbootshop.com to explore fully their range of titles and advance your own professional development today and i can't again as an experienced teacher i can't stress enough to you the importance of professional development and, and i see what i'm doing here uh, and teachers talk radio was part of my professional development and equally uh, by the way you can listen to these and download them and you can share them please do and keep them and you never know when it might be useful so that's John Cat, a bookshop. Uh, also, think about possibly becoming one of our presenters. Come and join us. Uh, I'd like to say, add your essence to the collective of Teachers Talk Radio for assimilation. We, we are really an eclectic bunch. When I look at the, the profiles of, of some of my uh, my colleagues who present on this, we come across the political spectrum, across the age groups, across the experience groups, even across the globe, I may add. We have uh, presenters from, from Portugal to Belgium to Wales to somebody who's broadcasting from Derbyshire, who was originally from not Derbyshire, and that's me. So please come and join us. Uh, brilliant team, and, and this is really good fun to do as well. So thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy your uh, your rest of your Sunday. And ta-ta for now. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio.